just used to always drive myself so hard to try to be perfect, and I, I, I mean, obviously that's one of the biggest failures. You can't. You, there is no perfection. From Digital Horsemanship, this is Finding the Feel. I'm your host, Kaylin Hurst. Our guest today is going to bring the value bombs as we talk about working hard, self-reflection, and evaluation as a means to consistent improvement. And of course, our favorite consistency when working with your horses. She's a staple in the horse industry, an NRCHA Hall of Fame inductee, AQHA world champion, a member of the Cowgirl Hall of Fame, named one of the top 50 riders of all time and all disciplines by Horse and Rider magazine, and the only woman to win the Open Snaffle Bit Fraternity Championship. Sandy Collier, thank you for being here. Hi. Fangirling for a minute, I grew up watching you show and studying your videos, so I can confidently say that there's an entire generation of horse people out there for which you were extremely influential. Oh, thank you. And I want to get right into it because I'm eager to hear this story in person. So in 1993, you became the first woman to win the Open Snaffle Bit Futurity Championship title. And you remain to be the only woman today to do so. Oh, yeah, but it won't be for too much longer. No, there's a lot of great women out there. Oh, yeah. It's very exciting. Very exciting. So when you realized that you won, how did that feel? I still am in shock. It just it was just one of those crazy things. I really didn't expect it. I didn't think I had, had enough experience to win it. And when it all happened, it was just kind of like the stars aligned. So stars aligned, what, what does that mean? Well, it was just the confluence of everything coming together. You know, I had a great horse and she had taken the training really well and she was sound and, you know, my help helped me pick the right cattle and just everything lined up. I felt like I was on a wave and I couldn't mess it up, you know? (laughs) And did you feel that the whole time? Kind of leading up to the show and and everything? I did. I did. There was a point of several weeks before the futurity when Les Vote said, you know, you've got a horse that could win that fraternity. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then I started really thinking about it. It started sinking in. and So that horse, Miss Ray Dry, mm-hmm. what was it about that horse that you think made Les say that? Well, she was really solid in all three events, and she just had a really graceful elegance about her, the way she moved. She just made you want to like her. And up until that point, it had been more of a it had been a little bit more of a timed event before that, the the rain cow horse, and things were just starting to be influenced by the raining and by more finesse, and the mare just really allowed, she just really showed that side. People really liked it. And you picked her out, right? I did. So how old was she when you went and picked her? She was two. She Doug uh, Williamson had her in training. He was at the Tejon Ranch then, and I went down looking for Paula and David Hunsaker. They had... They had entrusted me with a bunch of cash that I had in my console of my truck. I felt like I was guarding Fort Knox. I was so, I was so freaked out. And I had been several places looking for the perfect horse that really fit me. And she was the last one that I tried at Doug's. And, and I walked by her stall and she kind of pinned her ears and didn't act very nice. And I said, Oh, you know, I, I leave no stone unturned. That's the kind of person I am. I'm like, Doug, what's that? And he said, Oh, I don't know if you'll like her or not. And he saddled her up and I watched her trot about three strides and I went, that's her. Oh my gosh. And when I got on and rode her, she just, it just fit like a glove. So when you, you saw her trot out, was it just kind of a gut feeling? Yeah, it was just that elegance. She just was a beautiful mover and the ear that she had back at me and the stall was forward whenever you rode her. <laughs> What do you think that says about her? I think she just really enjoyed showing. 
I think when she, she enjoyed training and showing, but she just wasn't a real people person. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So what she, what was she like to train then? She took some psychology. There, there were things like, for instance, the night before the finals, I still couldn't ride her around the inside arena. We were at the Selland Arena then in Fresno. It was small. And there were parts of that arena that just were treacherous for, for any living horse to have to go around. She just didn't want any part of some of the signs. And I had to hang a hay bag in there that night and let her eat out of it to get her where I could even get over close to the signs. Now, in a bigger arena, that wouldn't matter. Where we show now, you know, with a bigger arena, you don't have to get that close to the walls. But in the cylinder arena, you did. And that's kind of how she was. But she was a horse that you you just asked. I would ask, and then I would ask again, and then I would ask in a different way, but there was no telling her. I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so when you took her to the show, when you got there, did you start to feel like you had a chance, or was it still just... I did, but it, part of me just really couldn't believe I did. Yeah. I mean, I felt like I was as prepared as I could be, but I hadn't been showing cow horses that long, and I I really just didn't think that little old me could could do that. And the three events, are they were they in the same order they are today? So herd work, rain work, fence yes. work? So then walking in to the finals, going into that herd work, what were you feeling? I felt really good about the herd work, and I felt really good about the rain work. And the fence work, I still didn't have a, a program for. You know, I didn't really get it that much. And I luckily, I had a big enough lead going into the fence work because I didn't draw a very good cow to be able to maintain my lead. Were you nervous? Oh, yeah. I always get nervous when I show. How do you deal with those nerves? Well, first of all, I try not to pressure myself. I just try to go and be as good as I can be on that day in that arena on that horse and kind of let the chips fall where they may. I try to control the things that I can control, which is warming up my horse properly and being sure I get a good night's sleep and eating well and you know not having to rush. And I just try not to worry about the things that I can't control. And then I just try to be as present as I can and tuned into my horse and the situation as I can and go with it. I always try to judge by my own scorecard. I'm not trying to compare myself to other people or beat someone else. I, I have certain things I want to work on each time I show. And if I do that and I get a good score, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if I do that and I don't, I'm, I'm still okay with it. So going into that show, those things you want to work on, do you have a plan and a strategy to follow? Yes. And much more so now. Back then, I, I didn't have that kind of ability. But you've learned. So now you strategize it out. And that's something that how far in advance do you start planning those things? Well, I always have a good idea, even even in my day-to-day training. But when you get to the show, it's always different. You have to be you know, ready to be very fluid because your horse responds to you know, different shows and different setups and you know, an indoor arena and things you haven't practiced that much in. And there, there are always wild cards and variables. So you have to stay dialed into your horse and be willing to adjust. And sometimes you get somewhere and, and they, they wake up and they're really fresh and <laughs> you weren't planning on it. And there's not enough time to warm up. And so there's always really random, random things about, you know, your plan, but you, but you should always have some plan. Yep. And then adjust in the moment. Yeah. And, and the there's a lot of adjusting. Plan. <laughs> yeah. So leaving that show and coming off of that win, what was something that you took away from that that you think sticks with you today? Well, up until that point, it had been the dynamic of the cow horse world had been a little bit different. And that, and it hadn't been a, a discipline where, where women had successfully competed that much. And so the fact that I was able to do that 
made me really feel like, you know, there is no impossible that anything that you set your mind to, if you work hard enough at it and, and good things come your way is possible. It's achievable. It's attainable. And so that was pretty amazing. So that, that working hard to achieve the seemingly impossible. What are some tactics? I mean, how do you keep that mindset or how do you keep working hard like that? You know, work ethic to me has always been really important. I think when you talked to Sarah, when you did an interview with Sarah Dawson, that was one of the things she said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like seven days a week. I always work. So I think that work ethic is, is really important, but I also think that being a student of life, being a student of whatever you're doing, but everything else too, like I'm always trying to learn. I have this seriously curious mind. Like I'm always trying to learn and figure out and study and I would go to shows and, and hardly ever even watch the horse show. I was always out at the practice pen watching the guys warm up and, you know, figuring things out. So I think that, that you have to maintain that kind of curious mind and open mind and be willing to try things and, and weed out what doesn't work or at least put it on the back burner because you'll probably eventually have a horse that you'll need that on and you'll go, oh, you know what? I remember so-and-so did this and that and you'll pull it out, dust it off and try it and see if it works. So I think, so that's work ethic, staying open and curious. I think that you always have to have other people watch you or go ride with other people. I think you can really get stuck in your ways and, and really narrow down your ability if you don't have a lot of people that you ride with that help you and watch you and coach you. And so all of those things are just things that I've sort of picked up along the way. So what about a time where things didn't go so well? Is there a story you can tell us about a moment or an experience where you feel like you failed? <laughs> I could tell I could tell you stories all day about where I where things didn't go the way I thought that they might go and I failed. Which which one did you want to hear? <laughs> Whichever one you want to tell us. Gosh, you know, there's just I I can't really think of a of a standout as many successes as I've had, there have been a hundred times more failures. I think the most important part of failure is learning the lesson from it. There, there is a, a silver lining in everything. And, and that's why we have those things happen to us so that we can open up to what that little nugget is that would maybe help us in the future. I've always, I used to, I used to, I was, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I just used to always drive myself so hard to try to be perfect. And I, I could, I mean, obviously that's one of the biggest failures. You can't, you could, there is no perfection, but I think that if you work really hard at things and you stay really open and you're always trying to learn that in the pursuit of perfection, excellence will catch up with you. And I think that that's sort of the takeaway for me. Any horses that have been influential in that lesson? Well, they all have been because I don't, I haven't ever ridden a horse yet that like took training that just took training (laughs) and you didn't have some ups and downs and stub toes and challenges with soundness or, or their brain, like you were talking about with your horse. Each one has been such a learning process. One of the trainers, I believe it was Jason Van Landingham Uh was talking about how every day we fail. And I've heard this consistently across people that I talk to every day we fail in little ways that if we didn't, fail in little ways every day that we train our horses a lot faster. Is that something that you believe as well? Yeah. I, and you know, Greg Ward, and I quote him all the time on this. He he said, if you, if you try to be 1% better a day 
and you try to make your horse 1% better a day, then in 100 days, your horse is 100% better. And I think that we all get on such a schedule because we have, you know, there, we have the fraternities, like we have horses that have to be ready on schedule for shows. And so we may maybe get a little bit greedy. Maybe by gosh, we're going to make 10% happen. And when you do that, you go back 20%. Mm -hmm. And you have to start from way back there and then inch your way forward again. And I think if you can mature enough in your training to be willing to accept those small increments and just steadily keep building one block at a time, you don't go backwards. So you, you may have lots of little teeny mini failures along the way, but you don't have a catastrophic one. That would be nice. See, I should have been a kindergarten school teacher because I, that's how kind of how I, I mean, I lay this foundation and I just build really incrementally, very steadily. And all of a sudden, you know, in September, it all the picture all kind of comes together. Mm -hmm. So I should have been a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> and trying to improve that 1% every day. How do you kind of know what that 1% is? Or how do you know if you're pushing your horse past that, that 1%? Well, that's a really good question. I think that's a million dollar question. I think if we knew that, we would all be much better horse trainers. I think in the seat of your pants, you know that, geez, that's a good place to quit. Oh, but let me just cut one more cow. <laughs> and then you cut a bad one and then you can't quit on that. And then you have to cut another one. Then your horse is fatigued and then they take a bad step and they bow their tendon and then you're off for six months. You know, I think that we all have that little voice. We know that that, oh, that felt really good. That's the good place to quit. Not, ooh, that felt really good. So if I can get more of it, it'll get more solid. And then tomorrow we can start there and move forward. It doesn't work like that. So if things start to kind of fall apart and the wheels start to come off, what's your approach then? I go back to the very last thing that the horse really felt confident doing, that they were really comfortable and felt like they owned. I go back to that. I get them comfortable again. And then I inch inch forward from there. And that's something that I do in everything that I do. If I start getting a little wobbly anywhere, I, I try to, to think of what the last place I was really comfortable in. And this is something that Barb and I teach in our retreats and in our clinics, because when people lack confidence, like maybe they're afraid to run fast on a cow horse. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's very understandable. And horses are afraid. Like when they run fast, their fight or flight instinct takes over. And you actually have to train them how to run fast and kind of stay with you. So when you start running fast, if they start getting wobbly, like they start feeling like they're running and they're not paying attention, then you just back off a notch of speed where they're comfortable, let them lope at that speed for a while. They get comfortable there. And then you inch them up a little bit and you kind of push against that uncomfortable place for them and then back off and then you push. So it's the same thing that you do with a person. And eventually they get where they're comfortable way out of the box, like way beyond where they were comfortable originally. But it's not intimidating that way because, you know, if you get up into that speed zone, I'm just using that as a for instance, but if you get up into that speed zone and, it, and it's scary, you can just throttle back off a little bit and get comfortable. And horses feel the same way. So it's it's a similar process for both. You touched on that. So you're talking about human's confidence as well. So there, there's one scenario. Any other approaches you take to building your own confidence? I just try to be really to do my homework as best I can so that I feel like I'm prepared for all possibilities, although you can never, of course, prepare for all possibilities. I try to always take 100% responsibility 
period. Like I don't blame the judges or the ground or the anything like that. I take, I try to take total responsibility for whatever it is that comes my way and make the best of that situation. Those kind of things give you, give me confidence. And I also know that deep inside, no matter what happens, I'll be able to handle it. And I think that that's just come from years and years of actually being able to handle pretty much what came my way one way or the other. So it's sort of a multi-pronged approach that, that helps me be confident and build my confidence. Yeah, it's kind of like what you were saying that, that we're just like the horses or the horses are just like us. And when we get yeah. nervous or anxious, it, it is our flight or fight instincts as well. Our yeah. body actually thinks we're going to die yeah. when we have anxiety and desensitizing ourselves to that yeah. and realizing at the end of the day, hey, we're not, we're not going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and that you can handle, you can handle what's coming. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. So tell us about winning the world championship on She's a Shinette. Well, She's a Shinette was, is, is still one of my all time favorite horses. Nancy Crawford asked me to find a horse that I really liked and buy her and show her at the fraternities. And, and I went to Texas and Joe Hayes had her. I just fell in love with her. She was just one of those horses that put her whole heart into everything she did. She was just, and that changed my whole priority around about what I look for in horses later, because I realized that it doesn't matter how much ability they have, if they don't have the heart, the try, the wanna, you know, they just, it's never going to work out that well to be a show horse. So anyway, she's a Shinette was at Joe's and we bought her and came home and I just, boy, I loved every minute of training her. She was a challenge in a lot of ways because there was a lot, a lot of horse there, but she just tried so hard. It was more a question of keeping her from doing too much. Mm -hmm. while she learned. So at the fraternity, she won the pre-fraternity by multiple points. And then I went to uh, Reno on her and everybody thought she was going to win the fraternity. And I won the prelims by seven points, seven and a half points. And I lost a cow in the herd in the finals. Oh my God. It was like catastrophic. And I was showing Diamond J Star that same year and he had sort of been in her shadows the whole way. I hadn't realized what a good horse he was because I was riding her and she was just every, she knew where every foot was all the time. She was so smart. And so I looked at him and I said, okay, <laughs> you're my only bullet. Darn if I wasn't reserve champion on him. And if he'd have stopped all three times, I might have, I might have won it on him. It was crazy. So anyway, Norma Jean, as we called her though, she's a Shinette. She had to, she had to go make her name somewhere else. And so she she won the junior working cow horse at the AQHA World, which was awesome because I had shown back there only a couple of times and I, I didn't realize what a big deal the AQHA World Championship is. She got a really tough cow and had a great run and it was just awesome. So going back to Snaffle Bits, so you, you lost a cow in the herd. Tell us what happened there. Oh, it zigged and we zagged and it just went right through us just all in a split second. So then you brought up your kind of reserve horse. Yeah. And he came through for you. Yes, he did. Why do you think that is? Well, I, he was a really, really good horse, too. I just hadn't realized how good he was because I kept, you know, comparing him to she's a Shinette all year. And he was just different. Yeah. And I had and it was it was an interesting thing because I just had to totally let go of, oh, my God, you know how you kick yourself to the curb and down the road. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just had to say, you know what? I cut a bad cow. I lost a cow. I'm not going to win Snaffle Bit this year. I've got one more horse. Delete. <laughs> Reboot. <laughs> and and luckily, I was able to do that. 
Do you think that's kind of the lesson, your takeaway from that show? Yeah. And that's a lot of being mentally, mentally strong, like being able to hit that delete button and just move forward. I think I've always been able to do that to some degree. Is there some kind of strategy when you do that? Or does having a plan for that second horse help you revert and you can just delete the previous one and then start thinking about your plan for this one? What do you think enables you to do that? Probably a lot of practice. Because I, I think when you're showing multiple horses or, or even if you're just riding one, like when you're done with whatever event you're done with on whatever horse you've done it with, that's past. Mm-hmm. And present is the horse you're riding and what you're about to do. And so, you know, if you lose a cow or drop a hind lead or, you know, if you're out on one or not, that's over with. And, and all you have is, is what's right there that you're doing right then you know, in front of you. So you, you really get practice at that all the time. If you, if you approach it that way, practice makes perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. (laughs) I had a music teacher in elementary school. He used to say that to me all the time. Practice make perfect. No, perfect practice makes perfect. I love it. So at that world championship, was it similar and that going into it, you felt good about it? No, I, I absolutely had no idea. And I came from way behind. I had a huge fence run and that's how I want it. So there wasn't a, just that feeling all along that everything was just going great. And when you walked out for that, that fence run, did you feel like she was ready? And if you got the right cow, it was going to work or was it just, let's see how it goes? Yeah, it was kind of a, let's see how it goes. I had a lot, you know, I had a lot of ground to cover and, and so I, I wasn't, I mean, you're, you're always riding to win, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't feeling like I was riding that wave that I had ridden on Miss Ray Dry. And when you finished that fence run, what were you thinking? Well, it was pretty exciting, but there were still a lot of good horses to go. There's nothing worse than sitting in the back and hoping that somebody doesn't beat you. I just, I feel so bad, you know, if I have any negative thoughts about anybody else. So I, it's like when you're sitting on the bubble to go to a finals and there's like a whole bunch of people left, you're thinking, oh, you know, lose a cow or you don't want to think that, you know, so I always try to think, I think Barb Schulte does this too. I always try to think that they could tie my score because then we can all go. <laughs> yep. Just don't beat my score. Tie me. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was, I, there was a, a bunch more left to go. And I remember sitting out there and I thought, you know what? I, I can't do this. I don't want to sit here and wish anyone ill. I can't. So I would take her back to the stall and took her tack off and, you know, let her rest. So then everybody finished and the scores were done. You realized you had won. What were you feeling? Well, it was pretty elating. No question. It was very exciting. And any particular lessons from that show? Well, yeah, that you can come from behind and still, you know, it's never over till the fat lady sings. And you called, she's a shinette, gritty. Norma Jean. Oh, oh Norma Jean. Yeah, you called her Norma Jean. I love, where does she's a shinette's nickname Norma Jean come from? Well, because she was a blonde bombshell. She had a great big butt and, you know, she was beautiful. And so Nancy Crawford named her Norma Jean. Do you think she knew she was beautiful? Oh, yeah. She, there was no question she knew she was beautiful. There's some that you can tell, especially, oh, yeah. they, especially the ones that have all that try and they like know they're talented and yeah, they're special. She had some swag. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. But that try and that grittiness, is that something you recognized in her right away when yeah. you went and saw her? Yeah. And what kind of, what told you that about her? She was just all in. Like you could just tell. Yeah. yeah you can tell that in people too. When they're like, all in to something, whatever it is, you get that feeling right away versus somebody who's really kind of aloof or, you know, doesn't really care. 
Yeah. I mean, she was, when you went to the stall, she met you at the door. Her ears are up. She's like, where are we going? What's going on? You know, I'm, I'm in, let's do it. There was never, eh, I don't want to leave the stall. No, she's just all in. And what's it like to train a horse like that? Well, like I said, I had to protect her from herself more than the other way around because she was, she gave a hundred percent all the time. So I had to be careful that she didn't get hurt and that she didn't try to do too much too soon you know, before her infrastructure was strong enough physically, but mentally too. And she could, she could get, she could get a little anxious. So I, you know, it was a lot of long, slow, easy out of girls. I've heard with horses like that, that it's a lot of just going over the basics and that, that was your approach with her as well. Yeah. And you mentioned this kind of in both of those show examples, but about staying positive and having positive thoughts, even sitting in the arena and watching the rest of them go and trying to remain that positive person. It reminds me of, and I can't remember, I think it's in your troubleshooting rainwork video, but you talk about positive thinking when you're riding or showing. And I believe you used a lead change example where if your horse is one that's inclined to swap leads in the center that you don't go out there and you think, don't swap leads, don't swap leads. You think about the opposite of that, the positive version of that, what they should be doing. Can you talk to us about that thinking a little bit? Sure. I think they've proven that subconscious, our subconscious responds, well, it doesn't understand the difference between, like if you say something in the negative, whatever happens, I'm not going to drag that hind lead. It only hears, I'm going to drag that hind lead. It doesn't understand the negative. And so, but it responds really well to the positive. And our subconscious is kind of what what really runs the show in so many ways. And so for me, it's always been really important to try to, I, w- I don't want to say program it because you don't really program it, but I try, I try to make sure that I keep my thoughts really positive. And I, I try in coaching my non-pros so many times you go, well, don't lean. <laughs> and I would find myself doing that. And I would try to have to kind of self-correct, you know, instead you know, keep your, keep your left shoulder up or, you know, whatever, but not don't lean. So it's, it's something that we all, we all do in lots of different ways. You have to become really aware of it. If you want to really, really jump yourself up that a couple of percentage points, as far as your ability to succeed. And so in practice, is that some, is that what you do? You kind of correct yourself. So if you think like, Oh, I'm leaning, you go back, wait, 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 yeah. Left shoulder up. Yeah. And you just do that consistently. Yeah. Yeah. And if I verbalize it, I try to reel it back in and say it differently. When I hear that and and put it into practice, to me, it makes me think about when we say that horses can read our minds. Yeah. And I I had a horse like, I have a horse like that. He's retired, but I always said, oh, this horse can read my mind. He'd be exactly that horse. If you were going through the center and you were thinking, don't change leads, don't change leads. Oh my gosh. Sure enough, he changed leads. And you could swear across everything. I was looking the other direction. I was not leaning. I was pointing him there. I was, everything in my body was saying, go right. And he still went left. (laughs) And you think that's when we talk about reading a horse's mind, do you, is that what you imagine it as well? Oh yeah. How much do you think our, our mindset affects our progress with our horses? More than you'll ever give it credit for. And something I hear a lot is consistency. What's your approach with being consistent? I just try to be as consistent as I can in everything that I do. I've, I've learned how to do a lot of things in my life because I'm sort of a lifelong learning person. And, and the things that I've learned late in life, like I'm a pilot and I, I took that up late in life and it was so much harder because when you're younger, you're just like the sponge that can absorb all these things. And, 
so it's harder to learn as you get older. But the one thing that has really helped me to learn lots of different things is to have a really consistent approach to it. And that's that same little gradient step, increment by increment, putting things together and not, not trying to overdo or do too quick. Or if I need to repeat something 9 million times, you know, that's what I do. If I need to like demo it out on a, you know, to get a concept, you know, I'll have the salt and pepper shaker on the table and I'll be like, and and this has to be there. And (laughs) I try to, I try to learn on multiple levels too. I think that that's really helpful. If you can see something and you can hear it and you can feel it, you know, you get all your senses involved. I think that, that that's helpful, but more than anything, the positive mindset that you can, you can learn it. You can learn to do anything and then approaching it in a systematic way. And also, of course, finding the best teachers you can find. And the awesome thing about our industry is that everybody's willing to help each other. And and so that's, I mean, that's just the best of the best. And it's also something that you can't learn from a book. You have to do it, and you have to have people kind of help correct you. And I mean, you can, you can read about it and watch DVDs all you want, but you really have to do it. And somebody has to be there to help you at least in the beginning, but that happens so much in our industry. It's it's really very different than a lot of other industries. Yeah, especially in the cow horse industry. I, yeah, I've noticed that, and everyone's very supportive and very helpful. Yeah, in my in my cow horse career as well, I just it was the most incredible experience, and I'll never forget this. I was showing at the world show, and I'm gonna go do my fence run, and I have Ron Emmons on this side, and I have Todd Crawford down the fence a little way, and I just couldn't like what an incredible experience like how yeah. lucky of a person am I yeah. and the industry's just just like that you can go to someone and ask for help and they'll and you walk into the herd and two guys are helping you pick cattle and they're going to be after you are and right. they're showing you the good cattle I mean where else in the world does that happen yeah that's so it's so amazing do you think that's a contributor to your success is surrounding yourself with positive and good people oh absolutely i think that you you become who the people that are around you are. I mean, you can't help but not. So I've always tried to surround myself with with good, positive, intentional type people. What do you mean by intentional? Well, people that are living their life with some intention, like they have, you know, they're going somewhere. They have some understanding of what they want, what's important to them, and how they're going to make that, you know, work for them. Did you have influences early in your career like that? Oh, I, you know, all the, so many of the guys helped me in my early, in my early days and still do. I went to actually went to work for Tom Shelley for a year before I started my own business. And what was it like to work with Tom? Long days, long days, but it was really good. It was like a really different, Tom was just, he's such an amazing hand. And so, I mean, I was riding horses that were not like anything I had ever ridden before. In what way? Well, talent wise. Like I hadn't been a, I hadn't been really involved in a training barn where I was riding those kind of horses. I had just been working on this ranch where there happened to be a herd of quarter horses, and there was one pretty good one. And I started riding with Doug and showed him. You know, I mean, that was really like the only good cow horse I'd had. I mean, I'd I'd ridden hunters and jumpers and three day event horses in my younger years, but you know, a good cow horse is very different. So you know, being in working for Tommy, the the quality of the horses was was so much better. And, and so that was really, it was really a good step up for me. Anything in particular that he, that he taught you that sticks with you today? He has more feel in his body for a horse and what they're doing than almost any other trainer that I know. 
And so it was really hard for him. It was hard for me to watch and learn because he already had it fixed before it ever even happened. You know what I mean? His timing was so good. I had to learn from watching, but I had to learn to look really closely. So that was probably, I had to really fine tune my eye. So that was probably one of the really good things that came from that. You mentioned that magic word, feel. Yeah. What do you think feel means? Feel is that elusive quality that you're born with, I think, but you can develop to a certain extent that allows you to be so much a part of the horse, that, like where, where you leave off and they begin, that line is really blurry, so that you can kind of feel what, what they're thinking and feeling, and it doesn't have to go through your mental process, so that you're like, your timing can be that much better because you're able to just respond like intuitively because you feel it because that line is so blurry between the two of you. And some people just do that. They can just be right there and feel it and know exactly what to do to counteract or fix or or respond to something where, where so many more of us, by the time we feel it and our brain says that that's what's happening, then we react to it instead of responding to it. So all of us can learn how to develop more feel and better timing, but there are some guys that just have got it, and they're going to be the great ones. Like Tiger Woods, you know, when he was at the height of his golf career, like he just had so much feel for for his golf clubs and the wind and the lay of the land and just what what needed to happen, and it was just amazing. When you watch somebody like that, you think it, it's so easy and you should be able to do it, you know? <laughs> looks like magic. Yeah, when you watch a master do something, it looks like, Oh, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Make it look so easy, yeah. which I guess is the point. Yeah. So in developing feel, how do you think we can work to develop that feel? Well, I think as many hours in the saddle as you can get with as much good help as you can get. And a lot of times, guys that are real successful training and showing and that maybe have a lot of feel, maybe aren't the most articulate or able to help you learn. And sometimes it's it's somebody else that has has the better eye or ability to communicate with you. So it's finding somebody that you can really be in sync with that can help you develop your, your intuition and your responses to different things with different horses. The more horses you ride, really important, and the more hours in the saddle. Has there been anybody like that for you? I think everybody's kind of contributed in one way or another, but I don't think anybody's helped me as much as I've tried to help other people to develop that. In 2011, you were inducted into the Cowgirl Hall of Fame. Uh huh. What was that like? You know, that was just pretty incredible. Like, I really didn't even know what the Cowgirl Hall of Fame was. I mean, I had never heard of it. And Sharon Camarillo, she's a world champion barrel racer. We were doing a clinic. It was Women Love Horses. That's what it was down in Southern California. And I got visiting with her. And she said, you know, she kind of heard my story. She goes, you know, you should really be in the Calgary Hall of Fame. And I said, I don't even know what that is. Tell me about it. So she told me all about it. And she said, I'm going to nominate you. And I said, well, okay. So she, by golly, she went home and she and her secretary, and I feel terrible for not remembering her name right this second, but there's a whole process like you get nominated and then they get several hundred potential nominees each year. And from that, they pick a handful that go into the, yeah, maybe someday, but only four really get chosen for each year, four or five, it, it varies. And it goes through like three or three or four more committees. And so I'm thinking, yeah, okay, well, that's awesome. Well, after I start finding out about it, because it takes, I guess, five to seven years. If you're going to get in, it takes about that long. Wow. And I got in the next year. 
which was just like unbelievable. So that was pretty incredible. And I had never been there before either. I'd never been to one of the luncheons to see even what it was about. <laughs> I was, I mean, there's like thousands of people in this gigantic room and each of the inductees has, you know, a whole slideshow and then this speech. And it was the year that Sandra Day O'Connor's, the wing for her, all of her memorabilia, that wing in the museum got opened. And so she came to speak and she spoke right before I did. <laughs> like, oh my God. She was in her eighties and she was still, you could tell like she was such a force to be reckoned with. I mean, she was so bright and so articulate and so magnetizing. Like, I mean, it, it was just impossible to not just sit there and, and I'm, and then I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, now it's my turn. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But yeah, that was a pretty big deal. What does it mean to you to be in the Cowgirl Hall of Fame? Well, it's a pretty elite group and I'm really honored to be part of it. I still don't really, I still don't really understand why I'm in it because it's such an amazing group of women. That is very cool. So then today, what would you say your specialty is? My specialty? Yeah. What's your trainer superpower? Oh, my trainer superpower? No, I think my trainer superpower has all along been my ability to put myself in my horse's shoes and to kind of see it through their eyes, which each horse is a very highly developed individual and they need to be treated. I feel like they're an, a very much an individual. There's no cookie cutter approach. And so by being able to put myself in their shoes, literally, I've learned lots of different ways to present things to them so that they can learn rather than, you know, my way or the highway. And I think that that's what's helped me get along with a really broad spectrum of types of horses. We're coming up here on time. We are. We're coming up on time. Yeah. So I have some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. What's a personal habit that you feel contributes to your success? Oh, just tenacity. Stay after it. Don't give up. Work ethic. Yeah. Any superstitions? I don't. I don't have any superstitions, but I, I do have one thing that I do do is if, if something's working, I don't mess with it. <laughs> what is your favorite thing about horses? I just love them. I just love everything about them. The way they interact with people. I love and... the way they interact with people. I love the way they smell. I love the way they look when you watch them running across a field. I love that they do what they do for us when they really don't have to do it. I just love them. And you know, they're, and they're so healing. That's another aspect of them that we don't in the competition world really give them the credit for is, is their healing abilities. Like they're able to, you know, reach in there and pull out whatever isn't feeling good and make it feel good. I mean, they're just amazing. I, I'm real involved with our therapeutic riding here in the Valley and, and it's just miraculous to say the least to see what they do for those kids. What is the best advice you've ever been given as a horsewoman? To take total responsibility for everything. You know, the things that are in your control, control. And the other things, don't worry about it. You can't control the ground. You can't control the judging. You know, take responsibility for having your horse prepared and, and ready to go. And no blame ever. Just take responsibility. Showing advice, though, I had a couple of things. If I, if you have a horse that's a 72 horse, don't try to mark a 74. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you just see more people not have success. And I always tell my, my non-pros, if, if their run was bad, review it and see what you did well and see what you could do to improve. And if your run was good, review it to see what you did well and what you could do to improve. So really use those, the videos really help. 
I agree. Study yourself. Yeah. It's hard. They don't lie. <laughs> Sometimes I think we don't want it. We so badly don't want to watch it back, especially if things go wrong. I don't want to go watch that. I used to only buy the good ones. <laughs> Got to watch the bad too. Yeah. And what would be your advice to somebody looking to improve as a horse person? I would say to try to find a mentor, try to find the best person possible that you admire, you know, ethically, morally, as well as their horse expertise and then spend as much time as you can with them and just soak it up. It's good advice. What's next for you? I, you know, I'm working with Barb Schulte on these clinics and retreats that we talked about a little, little bit earlier. And that's, we're working on developing that. And that's a big job. The, the clinics are, I don't know if, if everyone knows Barb Schulte, but she's, she's in the uh, NCHA Hall of Fame and she's in the Cowgirl Hall of Fame. So she's sort of my counterpart. We've led these parallel lives and didn't meet each other until, the Cowgirl Hall of Fame, and we got together and for the last few years we've been giving clinics where we work on technical skills to help people learn how to really train their horses, mental skills for peak performance. Barb's a, a graduate of the Human Performance Institute, so she's got a whole program about those mental skills. And then we have a personal meaning piece, which is about learning what you value and why you do things so that your success can be sustainable. And we've been giving these clinics and just having a blast. And then we do retreats, which are for women only, where we do a lot more of the personal meaning piece and we ride and we just kind of do, do other stuff, whatever the guest ranch where we're staying at offers it. And it has just been awesome. We are having so much fun. Ah, that sounds like so much fun. Yeah. I mean, both the clinics to learn from both of you and then the retreat to be surrounded and just. The retreats have been, that's actually what Barb and I really enjoy the most is the retreats. They're pretty cool. We've been doing webinars and we've been having fun with it. And the retreats and those clinics and the webinars as well are all under, you're calling it Be Unstoppable. Be Unstoppable. Yeah, it's going to be beunstoppable.us. And our Facebook is Be Unstoppable Barb and Sandy. And so we can learn more about you, Be Unstoppable, on Facebook and then on your website when it goes live. Yeah. And then we can learn more about you personally and your training and your history at Sandy Collier Training on Facebook and sandycollier.com. You did your homework, yeah. <laughs> and on your website, you also have all your videos. People yeah. are interested. And my book, Raining Essentials, is, is not in print any longer, but I think there are copies of that available on Amazon. There are. I was trying to hunt a bunch yeah. down. There's quite a few on there. Good. They're, they're worth a pretty penny now. Yes, they are. <laughs> I might have to get them to fire up the printing press again. <laughs> I hope so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stock up on a few of them they're for sure. The, thanks. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for coming down here. Thank you for listening to another episode of Finding the Feel. Don't forget to connect with us on Facebook to join the conversation. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app to catch the next episode. And if you've enjoyed this one, please share with a friend. Until next time. <laughs>